As you're being seated, I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 6. Uh, we are unpacking God's truth for our lives in this new mini-series titled Juicy Fruit. I hope God used the pack of Juicy Fruit gum that you received last Sunday to remind and encourage you to walk by the Spirit. If you did not receive a pack last Sunday, or if your pack didn't make it through the week because you just couldn't resist, that's okay. We have more packs of Juicy Fruit out in the atrium area uh, for you to enjoy. We want to use every opportunity we can to be reminded to put God's Word into practice in our lives. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, Paul wrote, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Say love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Love's a little word that packs a big punch. We throw the word love around in many different ways throughout the day. I love cake. I love ice cream. I love my family. I love my friends. I love watching sports. I love watching movies. I love cooking. I love eating. I love uh, the Dallas Cowboys. I love the Dallas Mavericks. I love my church family. I love God. We use love in so many ways that at times it's difficult for us to really grasp that true meaning of love and, and what we're saying. Paul here wrote, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love in the original word here, in the original language here, is the word agape. God's love for you and me is agape love. So love is God's agape love. God's agape love is selfless and sacrificial. God's agape love is unconditional. It's not based on us, it's based on him. God's love continues to give and give and give, and it never stops giving. God's agape love gives and gives and gives, whether it's received properly or returned promptly. God's agape love is a love of action, a love of blessing, a love of choice, a love of intentionality, a love of service. Remember, the flesh produces the works of the flesh the Holy Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God produces the fruit of the Spirit in you and me. That means the Holy Spirit of God produces the fruit of love in us as we walk by the Spirit. And so we're going to look at this fruit in particular this morning. Let's look at a few points about this juicy fruit of love that God has for us uh, this morning. First point is love is who God is. Love is who God is. John told us in 1 John chapter 4 in verses 8 and verse 16, God is love. God is loving in who he is and God is loving in what he does. We know what love is because love comes from God because God is love. We love, John said, because God first loved us. So love is who God is. When we begin to understand this fruit of love, we start with God, obviously. Love is who God is. Second point is love is what God does. As John told us in 1 John verses, chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, God demonstrated, he revealed his own love for us in this. He sent his one and only son of the world that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God loves you and God loves me. Tell your neighbor God loves you. 
God loves you and God loves me. And we say this at times and it just goes in one ear and out the other, but it's a truly awesome statement of truth for our day-to-day lives. Six-year-old Alice wrote a note to God one day and she said this. She said, Dear God, I bet it's hard for you to love everybody in the whole wide world. There are only four people in my family and I have trouble loving them. The truth is, it's not hard for God to love you. It's not hard for God to love me. Because God is love. And loving is what God does. God loves us just the way we are. But he loves us too much to leave us this way. He loves us so much, he's at work in us, transforming us into the likeness of his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. That is an awesome, awesome love that is ours from our almighty God. We know God loves us. And this point alone should make a radical difference in how we live our day-to-day lives. The third point is God wants love in us and through us. Love is what God wants in us and through us. Holy Spirit produces love, the fruit of love in us, so that it will grow in us and go through us to one another first and then to all those God places around us. Paul talked about, he emphasized our call to love in Galatians as we've been studying this book this year. He told us that love is the fulfillment of the law. He told us that we're to serve one another through love. He told us that we're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Now he's telling us, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Paul emphasized our call to love in Galatians, but also in his other letters and in his other writings. Paul understood, he knew Jesus was serious when Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all people will know you're my disciples if you love one another. This love, this agape love that God has for us, that God is producing in us. God wants us to enjoy it. He wants us to embrace it. But he also wants us to express this love. As John told us, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so I want you, even now, as we're looking at these points, and we're getting ready to move to the fourth point, allow the Holy Spirit to begin just ministering to you, begin to speak to you, as he is already. He's been at work in you this morning, getting you up and getting you prepared to be here. He's speaking to you through the time of worship through the encouragement from brothers and sisters in Christ, now through the teaching of his word. So allow the Holy Spirit of God to really penetrate your hearts and your minds in regards, and in particular, to this fruit of love. God, am I, am I truly receiving this love that you have for me? Or am I too busy beating myself up because of things that I've done in the past or, or things that I've said God, am I in your way of receiving this love that you have for me? God, would you help me understand in a deeper way this morning this love that you have for me that's sacrificial, that's selfless, that's unconditional, 
God, would you begin to speak to me in regards to how I'm doing when it comes to expressing this love? My husband, my wife, my kids, those who are around me. The Holy Spirit is at work, and he is speaking to us in different ways. He knows right where you're at. He knows right where I'm at. And so as we process through these truths, we're, we're listening to them. We're taking them in because that's what God has for us. But we're taking them in so that we can pour them out because that's also what God has for us. Love is what, what God wants in us. His agape love he wants in us, and he's made that way possible. Our salvation, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. He wants that love through us. He wants it to flow through us to to one another and those around us. So let's look at the fourth point. The fourth point is love is first. Love is the first fruit of the Spirit that Paul listed because love supports and strengthens the other fruit of the Spirit. This love strengthens and undergirds the other fruit of the Spirit that Paul is going to share with us as we make our way through uh, this series. And so we see Paul turn the spotlight on love. The beauty of this fruit is Paul really turned the spotlight on love so that we wouldn't miss it. God made it clear to us through his word as he inspired Paul to write words uh, in regards to this fruit of love for us in a way that we wouldn't miss this. I think it's obvious because it does support and strengthen the other fruit that we're going to talk about. And so we see the spotlight. God, through Paul, turns his spotlight on this fruit of love, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So turn to your left for just a moment and make your way to 1 Corinthians 13. It's not a long trip, just a few pages over to 1 Corinthians 13. I want us to take just a few moments to look at this love in a very, very clear manner. It's kind of like God put this word love under the microscope and, it, and he just spotlighted it for all of us to see so that we can see it in HD quality, very clear, very obvious and so we get to 1 Corinthians 13, and we're going to notice a few things. First, we see that Paul talked about the priority of love. He talked about the priority of love in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 13. Paul said, if I speak human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give, all, give away all my possessions and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Paul said it doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what I know. It doesn't matter what I give. It doesn't matter what I do. Without love, it adds up to nothing. It doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't matter what we know, what we do. It doesn't matter what we have if it's not done out of love for God and one another, then we're missing God's point. And Paul talked this, taught this to us here in this beginning. The priority of love. How awesome, how amazing this agape love of God is. Paul also talked about the permanence of love. If you look down to the last verse of chapter 13, we see the permanence of love. We see the priority, he started with the priority, he ends with the permanence. Some of these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So we know our faith will become sight. We know our hope will be fulfilled one day, but we will continue to love God forever and ever and ever in heaven one day. As Paul said, there is no one that can separate us from God's love for us in Christ Jesus, and there's nothing that can separate us from God's love for us in Christ Jesus. So we've got the priority of love. 
We see in verses 1 through 3, we've got the permanence of love in verse 13. And so we now look in the middle as Paul perfectly put this chapter together for us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And we see the practice of love. Paul also talked about the practice of love in the middle part of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. The practice of love. Now this passage is a description of God because God is love. This is a description of the love that God has for us. This is a description of the love God is producing in us. This is a description of the love God wants to grow in us and go through us to one another and those around us. This is a picture, the practice of love is a picture of God's agape love in action. If we want to know what love looks like, if we want to know what love does, we can see what love looks like, we can see what love does here in this passage. Now, Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of this fruit of love, and so obviously we really want to know what love is. All we have to do is look at Jesus and we see it clearly. We see it broken out specifically here in this passage. In 1 Corinthians 13, let's look at the beginning of verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy it, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. This is a picture of the practice of love in action. So let's take just a few moments, and I want us to briefly, albeit briefly, examine this amazing juicy fruit of love that we see here in this passage. So we're going to look at each of these points that Paul listed. First, love is patient. Paul said, love is patient. It's almost as if we want to ask, hey, Paul, you didn't wait too, too long to get in our grill, did you? Love is patient. He hits us right off. I love what someone said. Patience is a virtue. Virtue, Possess it if you can. Found seldom in a woman and never in a man. Uh, we, we know and understand. Love is patient. And that's a great challenge for us at the very start. Patience is from the original word macrothumeo. It's a combination word, macros, which means long, thumeo, which means passion or temper. Patience means to be long-tempered, not short-tempered. Patience means to take a long time to heat up. Patience means slow to become angry. So God's Holy Spirit produces the fruit of love in us, which helps us to be patient with those who offend us, oppose us, and irritate us. And we're going to talk more about love as patient here as we talk about the fruit of the Spirit includes patience in a few weeks. A love that is patient doesn't lose its cool. A love that is patient doesn't seek to get even with others. Paul talked about this fruit of love, and he's sharing this fruit of love so that we might understand it in a clearer manner, so that we 
might understand this love that God is producing in us. And we understand, first off, that this love is, is patient. Second, love is kind. Kind from the word Christuamai means gracious. It means gentle. It means generous. Patience and kindness, I think it's interesting that he talks about these two at the very beginning. Patience and kindness form a dynamic tag team in us. They work together. Patience focuses on taking from others. It's, it's more passive in nature. Kindness focuses on giving ourselves to others. It's more active in nature. Kindness leads to patience, and patience leads to kindness. They continue in a beautiful cycle at work in our lives, this fruit of love as it's being produced in us. A love that is patient and kind is a love that is focused on the good of others. It's a love that is always focused on the good of others and, and doing what is best for others. So Paul said, this fruit of love, if you want to know what this fruit of love is, if you want to know what it looks like, if you want to know where, where, where God is going as he develops and produces this fruit of love in your life by his Holy Spirit who lives within you, this love as God produces this love in us, it's going to flush out of our lives. It's going to be seen through our lives in patience and kindness. And Paul says love is humble. He tells us love is humble. He, he changes course somewhat here in verse 4, and he shifted to tell us what love is not. He told us what love is, and then he told us, he begins to tell us what love is not. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant. Paul's point is love is humble. Love does not envy. It means love is content with what it has. Love doesn't want what others have. Love doesn't want others not to have what they have. Love does not envy. Love is content with what it has. Love is not boastful. Love is confident in who it is. Love does not brag or boast about itself. Love does not blow its own horn. Love doesn't brag, boast, and post about itself about how great it is. Love is not boastful. I love what C.S. Lewis, a phenomenal author and apologist, said one time. He called bragging the utmost evil. He said bragging, boasting is the utmost evil. Bragging and boasting and posting and blowing our own horn is in essence stealing credit from God. It's taking credit from God because God's the one at work in us to will and to work according to his good purpose. God is the one who's carrying on his good work in us until completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And so we understand what Paul is saying is, no, 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 love, love is humble. Love, love doesn't envy. It's not boastful. Love's not arrogant. So love is committed to those it knows. Love it's not arrogant. Love doesn't focus on and think only about self. Love focuses on and thinks about others. Love wants what's best for others, and love does what's best for others because love is focused on others. Does not envy, 
It's not seeking to get, 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 get. It's not boastful. It's not seeking to go out there and tell everybody how great it is. And it's not arrogant. It doesn't think it's better than others. Actually, it focuses on others. This, this love that is to flow through us, it's a love that's patient. It's a love that's kind. It's a love that's humble. He continues to tell us his love is unselfish. He continues here in verse 5, and he slips into, and he continues in this process that's telling us what love is not. Love is not rude. It's not self-seeking. Rude means to misbehave. It means to be inconsiderate. It means to act unseemly. Self-seeking is obviously self is first. Self-seeking is caring most and only about self. Thinking most and only about self. Speaking most and only about self. Self, self, self. If patience and kindness form a dynamic tag team, then rudeness and selfishness form a dangerous tag team because they travel together as well. And what Paul said here is love is unselfish. Love seeks to bless, not be blessed. Love seeks to give, not get. Love seeks to serve, not be served. Love seeks to look to others' interests, not to their own. Jesus, as we know, lived and loved unselfishly. And so should we. We're to walk as he walked. We're to have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. As Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. The many includes you and me. And so we know this love is patient. This love is kind. This is the love that God is producing in us. This is the love that God wants to go through us. This love is humble. This love is unselfish. And then Paul tells us love forgives. Love forgives. Love is not irritable. He continues and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love is not irritable. That means love is not easily angered. Love doesn't fly off the handle. Love is not provoked or incited to anger, retaliation, or revenge. Now, let's be clear, anger at the mistreatment of others, at evil, anger at sin, rebellion, and disobedience to God is righteous. It's right. Righteous anger is something we should feel as followers of Jesus Christ. We should feel righteous anger at the mistreatment of others, at evil, at sin, rebellion, and disobedience to God. The Holy Spirit who lives within us helps to keep that anger righteous and not unrighteous. The Holy Spirit helps us to maintain by the fruit of self-control the righteous anger so that we don't slip into unrighteous anger and do things that we shouldn't do. And so we know that there is a Anger that is righteous for us, as Paul told the believers in Ephesus, in your anger, do not sin. But what Paul's saying here is love is not irritable. Love's just not going to fly off the handle. Love's not going to be easily angered. Love's not going to be incited or provoked easily to get even, to seek revenge, to get angry, to say something it shouldn't say, to say something in a way they shouldn't say it, at a volume they shouldn't say it, with a tone they shouldn't say it. Love's not irritable. 
Because love forgives. Love's not irritable because love forgives. When those circumstances and situations happen, those words are said to us, those actions are done to us, love forgives. doesn't get irritable. Holy Spirit keeps us in place and helps us to respond in a proper manner, which is with forgiveness. And Paul also said that love does not keep a record of wrongs. Paul actually took the word uh, out of the business world in Paul's day. This word, it was an accounting term, logizomai, uh, and it literally uh, spoke of how accountants in Paul's day and today, accountants place permanent entries in a ledger to keep track of transactions so that they can also refer back to them at certain points as needed, when needed, to be able to check on what has been done before. Paul here is saying love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. What he's saying is love doesn't take into account the hurts and offenses others have caused us in the past. Love doesn't keep score. Love doesn't keep a record of the offenses that others have said and done to us so that we can refer back to them when needed so that we can use them as a weapon in the present. It's like the guy who was talking to his friend one day. He said, when my wife gets upset with me, she doesn't get hysterical. She gets historical. Love doesn't get historical. Love doesn't keep score. If you think about it, if we kept a record of wrongs, if we keep a record of wrongs, if we keep score in our relationships, whatever the particular relationship is, you want to use whatever example you can, marriage, uh, work, job, employer, employee, friend, whatever relationship, if we keep a record of wrongs, then we're going to be irritable. We're going to be easily angered. If we keep a record of wrongs, if we're constantly thinking about those wrongs, we're going to be incited to retaliation and revenge. And so this is why Paul said, listen, love is not irritable. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Love forgives. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs because love forgives. And forgives here means to show grace by pardoning, releasing, and sending away the offenses of others. Forgive literally means to let go. It means to pardon. It means to release. It means to send away the offenses, the hurts of others. And remember, we don't forgive based on the worthiness of others, and we don't forgive at the request of others. We forgive because we've been forgiven by God in Christ Jesus. And we forgive because we want to continue to receive forgiveness of our daily sins. As Jesus taught us in the Gospel of Matthew, if we forgive others when they sin against us, then our Father in heaven will forgive us of our daily sins. However, if we don't forgive others when they sin against us, if we keep a record of wrongs, then God's going to withhold that forgiveness that we desperately need on a day-by-day basis. And we certainly don't want to keep from others what we desperately need ourselves. And so love forgives. Love forgives as soon as possible 
when the offense occurs. Love forgives as soon as possible. Doesn't keep a record, it forgives. Now, is forgiveness a challenge depending on a certain situation, relationship, or the hurt, or the harm that's been caused us? Absolutely yes. Yes. We are able to forgive as we keep our eyes on Jesus. We thank him for his forgiveness. So keep our eyes on Christ. We continually are reminded of his blood that he shed for us on the cross of Calvary to provide us with forgiveness of sins. So keep your eyes on Christ. We're able to then trust him to empower us and help us to forgive. When we forgive those who sin against us, we're doing it as quickly as possible. And we're doing it because forgiveness is for us as much if not more than it is for others. Because the other person may not know they are hurting us and the other person may not care and they may continue to hurt us. The other person may never ask for our forgiveness. And so it's vitally important for us to forgive, to release that person so that we can walk in the freedom that is ours in Christ Jesus. Now, when we forgive others, it doesn't necessarily mean we're to allow others to have full access to our lives, especially those who have hurt us, especially those who have harmed us, especially those who are continuing to hurt and harm us. Forgiveness doesn't mean we just say, okay, you're forgiven, and now go ahead and continue to have access to my life to pour that hurt and that harm into my life because you're doing it, and so I guess i got to forgive you, which means i got to let you continue to do it. No, 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 no. We forgive. We send that offense away. But then we also, God calls us in his word, he calls us to put boundaries in our lives. Vitally important for us to put boundaries in our lives to help protect us so that that source of hurt, harm, and offense doesn't continue to just have total access to us. God asks us and requires us to walk with wisdom, to use wisdom. Yes, we're to forgive absolutely every single time we're to forgive. Over and over and over and over, we're to forgive. We must forgive. We must trust in the Spirit working us to empower us to forgive. But at times, at times, if offenses are still coming, at times, as we forgive, we also need to, to set boundaries in place that restricts that access, that begins to restrict that hurt from continuing to flow into our lives. In those situations, biblical counsel is vitally important. Getting the counsel of others is vitally important to help so that we can continue walking by the Spirit and the freedom that is ours in Christ Jesus. Paul said, love forgives. Paul also continued and said, love delights in what is right. He said, love uh, it finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness. Love doesn't delight or rejoice in evil, in sin, in what is not right in our lives or in other lives. Love confesses sin. Love forsakes sin. Love says no to sin. Love restores brothers and sisters who may have given in to sin. 
Sin hurts us. Sin hurts our relationship with God. Sin hurts our relationship with one another. Sin hurts our relationship with those God places around us. Sin hurts our walk with God, our worship of God, and our witness for God. And so we know love finds no joy in unrighteousness. Love confesses sin, forsakes sin. Paul continues said, love rejoices in the truth. That means love delights in what is right. We can rejoice in this simple reality. Truth is knowable. Truth is knowable. Today, folks in this world live and act like all truth is relative. There's no absolute truth. There's no standard by which we can build our lives on and live our lives by. And that's completely false. We know Truth, truth is knowable. We can rejoice in the truth because truth is knowable. God is the God of truth. Jesus Christ is the way the, and the life. We know the Holy Spirit, Scripture tells us, is the Holy Spirit of truth. We know that God's word that we hold in our hands this morning, this is God's word of truth for our lives. Jesus, in his prayer for you and for me, in John chapter 17, prayed to God the Father, and he said, God, would you sanctify them by your truth? Your word is truth. And so we can rejoice because truth is knowable. As we learn this truth, as we listen to this truth, we're able to live out the truth of God by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. We can rejoice in God's truth because it provides for us and it protects us. You know this as well as I do. God's truth always provides for us. And God's truth always protects us because it's right for us. It's true. And when we live it out, we are able to rejoice, to rejoice in the truth here before us in the Word. We're able to rejoice in the Holy Spirit of truth who lives in us. The example that we have of Jesus Christ who is truth. This is awesome for us. Truth is noble. Therefore, love delights in what is right. Love forgives the delights in what is right. And then Paul ends, I think, in a perfect way to end. Paul says love never ends. Love Never stops. He said, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Love bears all things. That means love covers and protects others from harm. Love bears all things. Bear means to cover over, to protect others from harm. Love doesn't air one another out. Love doesn't embarrass one another. Love covers over. It bears. It covers over. It protects those it loves. It protects others from harm. It, it covers over others. So when Scripture says love covers over a multitude of sins. Love bears. But then he also says love believes all things. Love believes all things. Love thinks the best about others. Love sees the best in others. And love gives the benefit of the doubt to others. It thinks the best about others, it sees the best in others, and love gives the benefit of the doubt to others. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. And then love hopes all things. This love, this agape love, focuses on the positive, not the negative. This, God, this, this 
God's agape love. It's a godly optimism, not a realistic pessimism. It looks at the bright side of life. It looks at the brighter things. It looks at the best in others. It wants the best in others. It looks for the best in others. It looks for the best for others. It hopes all things. It hopes the best for others. As the Holy Spirit moves and works and produces this love. And then this love endures all things. This love perseveres. This love stays. This love remains. This love continues. This love perseveres through challenges and difficulties, through tests of faith, through trials in our faith. This love perseveres through times of suffering that we may go through in our day-to-day lives. This love continues and and continues and, and continues to give to those around them. And then we know that love never ends. It lasts. It doesn't quit. It doesn't give up. It doesn't stop. It doesn't end. It never throws in the towel. Love never ends. So as we see this, this practice of love, this love that, that God is producing in us, this love that God wants to go through us, the simple question is, what is our application? What is our action step this morning. What do we need to take? What do we need to do as we've looked at this truth today, this week? How do we apply this truth in our lives? It's real simple. You're going to hear this a lot. You've already heard it, and we're going to hear it a lot because it's the central reality, the central truth of this mini-series. But our application point is real simple. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. As we walk by the Spirit, God produces the fruit of the Spirit in us. As we walk by the Spirit, God produces this fruit of love in us. As Paul told us in Romans 5, this God's love has been poured out to us through the Holy Spirit, who God gave to us at the moment of our salvation. Walk by the Spirit. Surrender to God. Obey God. Depend on God. Walk by the Spirit. He leads, we follow. As we walk by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. As we walk by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit produces the fruit of love in our lives. As we walk by the Spirit, we grow in our love for God, we grow in our love for one another, and we grow in our love for all those God places around us. When you stop and think about it, God's agape love is outrageous. It's outrageous. There is nothing like it anywhere. The agape love of God. It's outrageous. As Paul said, God's love, his agape love, surpasses our knowledge. As John said, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That is who we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is it did not know him. I mean, just stop and think about it for just a few moments. When we understand this love and we just have just barely skimmed the surface of this agape love. It truly is outrageous. God's agape love is contagious. God is continuing to produce this love in us. It's continuing to to grow in us so that it can go through us. This love continues 
to bless and bless and encourage and encourage and forgive and forgive and serve and serve and minister and minister and give and give. This, this love that the Holy Spirit is producing in us, this fruit of love, God produces it in us on a day-by-day basis, and we simply can't keep it to ourselves because it wasn't meant to be kept to ourselves. It's meant to just explode and overflow through our lives onto all those who are around us because, again, as Jesus said, this is the way. You want others to know you're a disciple of mine? You want us to know that you're a follower of mine? Then let love have its way in you, with you, and through you. And when that love just comes pouring out of us, like just a rushing body of water just comes pouring out of us, it highlights for those around us there's something different. There's something different in that difference. We know it's Jesus Christ at work in and through our lives. God's agape love is outrageous. God's agape love is courageous. Listen, God's agape love goes first. It takes the initiative with those around us. Remember, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's agape love. It's courageous. It it goes first. As Paul said, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and, and sacrifice to God. This love doesn't hold back. This love, as we've shared, gives and gives and gives and gives and gives. It goes first. It takes the initiative with others. This fruit of the spirit of love is so encouraging. I know it is to me, and I I believe firmly that it is to you as well. This fruit of the spirit of love is so encouraging because, believe it or not, this is the love that God is producing in us. This is the love that God wants in and through us. What does that mean? It means this. We can display a love that is patient and kind and humble and unselfish, a love that forgives, a love that delights in what is right, a love that never ends. We can display a love that bears and believes and hopes and endures all things. We can display this outrageous love of God, this contagious love of God, this courageous love of God that literally never ends. We can display this love because of the Holy Spirit of God who's at work in us. We can bear this fruit of love in our life. We can show this fruit of love through our life because of the Holy Spirit who is at work in us. Again, Jesus displayed and demonstrated the fruit of love perfectly in his life and ministry. And so we become more like Christ. We walk as Jesus walked as we love, as we display and demonstrate 
this fruit of love that God is producing in us. This fruit of love blesses us and all those around us. So what does God want us to do today? It's real simple. God wants us to walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. And in so doing, we will be able to display, to show the fruit of love to those He places around us. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Our worship team's going to come and lead us in this time of response, of invitation. And God wants us to respond to Him as He's speaking to us now. His Spirit is moving and speaking to us, and He wants us to, to respond in obedience to Him. So He's clearly calling us to walk by the Spirit. Maybe that means this morning that He wants you to go and display this love to a brother or sister in Christ, to go and pray with someone, to go pray over someone. The altar is open as it always is for you to pray and minister to those that God's placed around you. Maybe he wants you to go and speak an encouraging word to a brother or sister in Christ. Maybe that's how God wants you to display the fruit of love this morning. Maybe it's just to go and simply share with someone, a brother or sister in Christ, how much they mean to you. Our pastors will be standing here at the front. They'd love to pray with you, pray for you, pray over you. If you have a need, care, concern that is weighing you down, we would love to pray with you and pray for you today. Remember, as we share each Sunday, the fruit of the Spirit is a result of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives, which is a result of receiving God's gift of salvation by His grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, why not this morning, why not right here, why not now? Say yes to Jesus. Here in the presence here this morning, maybe you're still watching at home, you can receive God's gift of salvation wherever you are by simply understanding and and believing what the Word says, that, that you're a sinner and you're separated from God because of your sin. There's nothing you can do to get rid of your sin and get to God on your own that you believe you need a Savior and that you believe Jesus is your Savior, that He took your place on the cross. He paid your price for sin. He died on the cross, was buried in the tomb. He rose again on the third day, victorious over sin and death for you. And so right there in the quietness of your own heart and mind, you can confess your sin, repent from living your way, turn to live God's way, to ask Jesus to come into your life, to take over and take charge, and he will do just that. And you can begin walking by the power of the Holy Spirit who will take residence in you at the moment of your salvation. This is our opportunity to respond to God. Let's stand and worship as he speaks to us.